Good morning, good evening, and good afternoon. Whenever and wherever you're listening, we just wanted to extend the warmest of welcomes. So kick back and relax as we continue through our sermon series. What's happening, friends? Oh my gosh. Thank you. It's so good to be back. You guys are so kind. Um, seriously, thank you. It's good to be with you guys online. Um, man, I'm going to tell you right now, thank you so much for your prayers and your love and your support and uh, words and um, encouragement. It literally has carried me and uh, my family through. Um, it was like a, just a really difficult moment and season that we've all gone through, and um, I really just didn't even know the depth. I'm going to tell you for myself, the depth of like just the connections and support. And, you know, I went, uh, for those of you who don't know, I just uh, got done having five weeks ago uh, a major uh, spinal surgery that took eight hours. And uh, it was even cool. A Northgater was even my recovery nurse in the recovery room. It was insane. Like, it was insane. And then somebody else comes in and I'm like, hey. And, you know, they're like, they just want to see me on drugs. We're just going to be honest. <laughs> they're like, let's ask them some questions. <laughs> It was so good, but thank you so much. It really carried us through, and uh, I'm so glad to be back. Um, I'm feeling good. Recovery's a process, and, uh, and just looking forward to being healthy for you all. Um, I wanted to get, tell you something else real quick. Um, just as a heads up, you have spoken. You have spoken online, um, and we have heard you, and you said, like, hey, we're kind of gathering back together, or we're still distance. What is going on? Like, there's like this we just want to know what, what's happening and what's going on. And so we put a ton of effort into that. And we've done a complete revamp of our website simply to tell you what the heck is going on, right? So it's so easy. So you can go there on the front page right there. You can see how to get connected and what we have available for you. And then just below that, you can see all the events and you can get connected with them. So you can just see basically a calendar, which is what we all love. Uh, is just to know what's going on and where we can get plugged in. And so we wanted to make that as accessible as possible to you so you can participate in this faith community and feel like you know what's going on. So uh, go check that out on the website. We're going to continue to make sure that that's as easy and accessible for everyone at every age, including with our app. Um, the other thing I wanted to tell you about is that at the end of the service, we're going to participate in communion. So if you're with us online, if you want to make sure that you have those items so you can participate at the end of the service. And the last thing I want to tell you about, if you're new with us, uh, or you're just joining us, uh, or you're just kind of catching on, we have been walking through the book of Matthew. It's the very first book in the New Testament. And we've been doing what's called expository teaching, where we're literally going word by word, verse by verse. It's something that we haven't done. It's taking a long time. I can tell you it's taking a long time because we started this in August last year. And we are in April, and we're in chapter five. And if you've done and figured out and looked ahead, you know we got a ways to go. Um, so what we did, and what we're going to do for this next year as well, is we made a journal for you that's a great first-time gift. Some of you can go there, and you can just get an extra one, or if you want to buy one, give one to a friend, and walk through this with them. But this is a gift to you if you're newer with us and you've never gotten one of these, just to walk through, to take notes, to be connected, to see what we're talking about when we're talking about it. So you can grab the end of the service in the new friends area. But if you have yours, we're on page 117, and it's called Revenge. Today's topic is revenge. 
So when I was um, looking ahead and seeing that this is when I was going to be able to kind of come back and make a go at this, I knew the topic was a revenge, and it was a really familiar passage for most of us. And so I was, um, I, I'm on Twitter, and I follow a handful of people, and I follow someone um, who a lot of people actually follow. His name's Elon Musk. It's a guy that's uh, fairly popular. And he tweeted this just a couple weeks ago, and I was like, ah, oh, this is money. He said, the limbic instinct for vengeance is incredibly strong which is why turn the other cheek is such a powerful idea as it ends the cycle of retribution. I went, oh my gosh, this guy's giving me my message right now. I mean, look at, there's like 10,000 comments on this. And I was like fascinated by it. I was like, how relevant is this moment? And how many people are looking up the word limbic means right now? Like, this is incredible, <laughs> right? You're like, no. And I was like, yeah, this is, this, is, this is what we're talking about. I mean, this is Jesus's words. And then I'm all set up for it and we go through last week, and I'm sitting there in the evening, and I'm watching the Oscars. And suddenly, oh, here we go. The slap heard round the world, right? That's what this thing is called. I'm like literally in the middle of the night, I wake up. I'm seeing this thing going, what? Wait, I don't even know totally what happened here. And it's been like the topic of too much conversation this week. But I went, oh, this is so relevant to revenge, Right? Like we, we are like trying to struggle and deal with this. Now I'm gonna tell you, we'll talk a little bit more about this specific thing in just a couple of minutes. But the, my favorite thing that's come out of this picture, I'm just gonna play with it a little bit, is actually the memes. The memes are solid, I'm telling you right now. Like this is my favorite one. Uh, if you wanna check that out. This is solid. This is so true, my wallet. Guys, it's cost me $6.79 a gallon to fill up with diesel right now. So I'm not giving none of you a ride. Like for reals. I can't. I can't do this right now. This is killing me. So revenge. Here's really this question. How do we respond to evil? Like how do we respond to like difficult moments or what we feel like is evil? And what we're going to talk about today is that there's actually three options in how we respond. So one is we can respond in kind to what they did. The other is that we can just cower to it and back away from it and tuck down. Or what we're going to talk about is we can opt for a third or what I would say is Jesus gives us a third option. And so today we're going to kind of unpack and explore and try to grab the, what this third option looks like and how it challenges us actually to combat evil by offering unexpected responses to those who push it up against us. So I'm going to hop in. We're going to go ahead and read uh, together uh, our, our scripture for today. It's found in Matthew 5. It starts in verse 38 says, you have heard what is said, eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. So the thing is, is when you read a passage like this that's found in the scripture, just as it appears on the surface level, for most of us, it doesn't make sense, right? Because some of us will be like, you know, I follow scripture word for word, just how it's written, and that first part is all good, right? That eye for eye, tooth for tooth, like, yeah, I'm going to give it to him. But as soon as it gets into like turning the other cheek and giving someone, you know, money or extra excess, we're like, wow, that's nonsense, Right? 
And so it's really difficult if it's just service level. And we talked about this the last couple of weeks and what Jesus was actually doing and how he's talking. The way that I can explain it, and I've told this story before, but it works. Um, when I was in middle school, I did track and I was a, a thrower in track. And every once in a while, they asked me to be a runner because I'm an athlete. And uh, I remember uh, it was like for points for a track meet. I remember I had to like run a lap or a couple laps or something like that. And I felt like, man, I am, I'm pretty fast. <laughs> like I'm pretty good. And we would like goof around a track and one day we had like a, a race and everybody's racing everybody and all of a sudden it was my turn and I was racing the fastest kid. And I was like, dude, you don't even understand this guy right here. Like, I'm like a bear, right? All of a sudden I'm going 35 on you. You don't know what to do. So we get ready. We take off. We're not even doing like 100. We're doing like 50 meters. I'm blazing, feeling the wind whipping in my hair, like my cheeks wiggling around, you know, like because I'm, I'm cranking and I went. I didn't know, though, that dude slipped and fell and then almost caught me, right? But I won. I'm the champ. So all of a sudden now for me, I have a new badge that says like fastest kid in school, right? So I'm like puffed up. I'm like, I'm super fast. Well, one day I got really insulted um, because I went home and on my street, our street was a pretty busy street. And I was always playing the street and played basketball up front with friends. We had a bunch of kids in the neighborhood. We'd get together and play. And all of a sudden, one day I go out front, out front of my house, there's a sign that said, slow kids at play. I walked in to my mom. You've seen this one. I walked to my mom and I said, what is this? Slow kids at play. Do you know who I am? I'm the fastest kid in the school. I'm not slow, right? Where's the sign that says fast and why are you talking smack to the whole neighborhood like that, right? That's how I read it. Sometimes that's how we read these things if we just read it on the surface level because some of us go, <laughs> there's a bunch of slow kids over there playing around, right? Or we can read it like it was meant to be read and we can dig in a little deeper and be like, oh, we should slow down because there's children around here that might dart out in front of me and they're playing around, right? The same thing that happens when it appears from the top for us when we read some of these things in scripture, it doesn't make any sense when we read it on the surface, for instance, like when we read this, how can we possibly say that it's godly to let a murderer or a sex trafficker do as they please? Just turn the other cheek. I'm not going to watch. You just do what you're doing. Or, or, or like looking and saying like, is God actually like encouraging abuse of others in this moment? Or why does God want me to give my money to every person when I might even have a good right to know that this is going to help an addiction or a difficult moment that's not actually going to help them in an appropriate way, right? It's because these teachings make no sense for a lot of us on the surface reading. And most Christians or most followers of Jesus, when we read this, we tend to then at this moment to downplay or to completely ignore these types of teachings. We're like, yeah, yeah, I'm not going to do that. Like, because for us, it just doesn't fit into our common sense. Like, that's not common sense for us to do that. Like, that's just not how we act, or that's not how it was raised, or that's not our culture, right? That's not what we do on streets, right? Uh, I remember uh, just a couple weeks ago, Mike Goldsworthy is here, and he gave us this question that when we're digging into some of these things, maybe this is the question that we start with, which is this. In exercising this right, whatever it may be, who in this moment am I helping, and who am I hurting? If anything, this gives all of us a pause, Right? Just a moment to pause and actually go beyond the service level to thinking a little bit deeper of what it has to do with us. Who am I helping and who am I hurting? 
This raises the question that we take when Jesus is surface meeting for uh, what he says. And when you need to look for a deeper meaning, I'm gonna tell you right now that when I have to look for a deeper meaning in a piece of text or scripture, you have to dig in a little bit deeper. And what you have to eventually connect it to is to the cross. That every piece of scripture that we read All of the answers are based on all biblical interpretation are used to understand that passage that doesn't make sense, actually makes sense when you look through it through the lens of the cross. That this passage on the surface doesn't promote love of God and love of others, right? This doesn't promote loving God in this instance if we act this out just on the surface level in loving others. And so we have to dig deeper so that we can see it through what the actual crucifixion looks like, which is love of God, loving us and loving other people around us through his sacrifice. Does it meet up with those standards? And once we can dig a little bit deeper and find that connection, then we can have a better understanding of what Jesus is speaking about what he's trying to say and what he's trying to help us understand with new lenses. Uh, I, uh, uh, I, I, I grabbed a quote from Augustine. He's, um, I don't agree with him on uh, everything, but I thought this quote really summed up this idea really well. It says, whoever thinks that he understands the Holy Scriptures or any part of them, but puts such an interpretation on them that does not tend to build up the twofold love of God and our neighbor does not understand them as he ought. This uh, is called um, the exegetical rule of love. It has been a a staple of the church's interpretive tradition when we're trying to interpret what this scripture, what this meant for us. I mean, really, we're dealing with an archaic book, an archaic language, and so this is the lens in which we look through. So what then... Do we come to, and what is the right interpretation then of this Jesus' teaching on the Sermon on the Mount of Matthew 5, 38 through 42? So what I'm going to do, as we just unpack this, I'm just going to go line by line, and I'm going to give you context. I think that's going to help us understand this a little bit more, to understand what's going on. So the first thing that uh, is important to remember is the context of what's taking place here. Jesus is talking right now to a Jewish community in Galilee whose land is overtaken and occupied by Roman territory. So that's his crowd who he's talking to. And they're lorded over by the Romans in often these brutal ways that were massively authoritative and aggressive towards them. Essentially, they were oppressed. If you looked at the people he was talking to, these are oppressed people. And the first thing Jesus tells them to is, you've heard it said... And you've heard it said that it was an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. This right here, right off the bat, is called the uh, Lexitalionis, right? This is a reference to the Old Testament teaching called um, the law of retribution. This is the law of retribution or a guideline when dealing with people. Essentially, what he's saying is, you've heard it said you can't take more. You can take an eye for an eye, but you can't take more than an eye for an eye or more than a tooth for a tooth. You can't go further on in your vengeance or your revenge. And this was a, a guideline. So he's saying, hey, you've heard it said this. And then he says, but. <laughs> we should do a series on like the butts of the Bible. That'd be awesome. <laughs> but I tell you, some of you just now got that. <clears throat> I love it. I'm fast. I'm feeling this today. Here we go. <laughs> but I tell you. Do not resist an evil person. That is like powerful off the bat. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Back your horse up right here. 
Do not resist an evil person. In this statement, in the language, do not resist, it literally means to stand up against. This is actually a military reference and an aggressive reference, to stand up against something. And this is what this depicts is that you're actually standing up against an enemy, like in an aggressive tone. So he's saying, do not resist or stand up against this. It doesn't mean do nothing. Uh, It means something like don't respond in kind to the evildoer. And then he gives us an illustration. The illustration says, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. This is really important to understand. To hit the right cheek, a person would have to use the back of their hand. This is how a Roman soldier did it. This is how they understood it. So right here, to hit this cheek and their right cheek, they would use the back of their hand. And in a cultural context, a backhanded slap was meant to humiliate, not to inflict harm on a person, right? If they wanted to inflict harm on a person, they would punch them with their dominant hand, right? You don't go into army and be like, slap, fight, (laughs) right? It, It was different. It was only meant to humiliate. And so by instructing these peasants to offer up then their left cheek, Jesus is actually telling them to refuse to be humiliated by their treatment at the hands of Romans, to stand up for themselves. So if they're hit this way, if they turn their left cheek, then they can't be struck in that way. You have to then hit me as an equal. Look at me as a person who's standing here, that I'm strong. This response would have actually thrown the guard off, uh, the person, the, uh, the oppressor in this moment. And turning the other cheek isn't acquiescence. It prevents the aggressor from hitting you the same way again. It's the, the, this out-of-the-box tactic that indicates that you, the non-aggressor, occupy a higher moral stance, that this stance mitigates really to good effect counter-violence when violence or evil is done upon us, when we're absorbing it. And even if given the choice, it's better to, than either fighting or simply accept, accepting degradation at that moment and sub, uh, subsequently like fleeing from the problem completely. When Jesus taught about this and turning the other cheek, his stance was in, is in this reality to operate actually from a position of strength to show, look, you can stand up for yourself. You don't have to cower down. And he advocates standing one's ground. So in doing so, what what happens? You let the aggressor know that you refuse to accept his or her set of assumptions, maybe even assumptions that perhaps made the aggression possible in the first place. So most importantly, what he's saying you allow at this time is you allow the aggressor to see, like to really see the great injustice that he or she is doing, and thereby, it actually provides an opportunity for change. I mean, you, you know this. If you think about this, when someone just stands up strong like that and says, I, I have dignity, I'm a person, it usually makes the other person stand back and say, what am I doing? Is this appropriate? Uh, I think one of the most beautiful um, uh, examples that we have in our time that we still celebrate to this day and will continue uh, is Martin Luther King Jr. This is what he taught. Like he actually, anyone that came and um, was fighting injustice and social injustice with him, like he literally said, if you're gonna do this, you have to stand with me, you have to stand proud and you have to walk forward, but you cannot be aggressive back. This is the, the training of the Sermon on the Mount. 
Uh, and he would explain that to them. And they would wear suits. And they would stand. And they would know that they were going to get sprayed with hoses. And they would know that they were going to have dogs um, that were going to attack them. And that they were not going to fight back. They weren't going to beat up the dog. They weren't going to go and fight someone else or throw anything at them. They were going to stand proud and turn the other cheek. This was the teaching of Martin Luther King Jr. And we saw this, this example, which actually allowed people to stand back and say, what are we doing? And slowly it started to begin to inch forward change. And actually change that he never even got to see himself. But it was that type of standing up for injustice that allowed people to see with different eyes of what's taking place. One of my favorite examples of this is that, you know, they knew that they were walking in on these marches and they were going to sprayed with these hoses. And you would ask yourself, why are they wearing suits? Like, why aren't they in like a uniform for war, right? To protect themselves from these hoses that were going to obliterate them. And it was literally that they would get sprayed with hoses and then they would stand up. You know what they would do? Adjust their tie and stand there to say, I have dignity you need to see me as equal. I'm a human. This opens up the door for aggressors to see his or her wrong ways. So real quickly, this is why we see this issue that we talked about, which for some people it's an issue, some people it's a non-issue. It's very clear with just this last week at the Oscars, because I can say even more culture because of the conversation with Will Smith. This to me really turned into the conversation of like, was it right or wrong, Right? Uh, which actually goes into even a conversation about sin, right? Sin is this attachment to what is right or wrong. And there's actually two kinds of sin. Uh, I'll explain that real quick. There's, first of all, a sin of omission. Omission. This is a, something that we're supposed to do that we don't do. That we wake up in the morning and we say, God, I want to stand up for you. I want to I follow you. I'm going to uh, live that this different way. I'm going to have mercy. Uh, I'm going to love other people. And then this sin of omission is you get late in your day and you end up watching something. Like you watch somebody being bullied. And, th- and that part of you like knows like you should do something, that you should come alongside or help. Or, or you like see that person that is just going through a bunch of trials and stuff. And you're just sitting there going like... I just don't know if I have time to deal with all of that, right? I just know what it's going to take, but you, but you know that you should because you just sat there and prayed this prayer and said, God, this day is for you. Here's my hands, here's my feet. Let's go, I'm surrendering to you. I want to be more like you, right? And you know, but you submit and you stay out of it and you're like, oh, yeah, no, I just can't do it. That's the sin of omission. The, the thing, something that we're supposed to do that we don't do and it's dangerous, Right? Um, but this is what it's, uh, th- this is the other one. This is uh, the warning of the sin of commission. The sin of commission, the second one, is something that we do that we're not supposed to do. We're good at that one, right? Something that we do that we're not supposed to do. Um, so this is the example I would give in the Will Smith moment. And this is only because he rehearsed his speech. He had a speech memorized. And 15 minutes after this instance, he stood up in front of millions of people, and he said, in this moment, I am overwhelmed by what God is calling on me to do and be in this world. I'm being called on in my life to love people and protect people and to be a river to my people. It's like I want to be a vessel for love. And I believe that. And we've done this stuff before, right? You stand up there and you're like, this is who I am. It's thought out. It's who I am, and then all of a sudden you find yourself in a position of the sin of commission. 
something that we're doing that we shouldn't be doing, that we're not supposed to do. And that's what Jesus is trying to help us understand. It's being, whoa, slow down. There's a third option. Not just cower and do nothing. Not, not go overwhelm and, and have vengeance and revenge. But there's a third option. Then he says, if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, give your cloak as well. So uh, what happened with this, here's the cultural background of this, is that uh, these economic practices that um, people uh, owned land and they could raise the prices. They could charge people whatever they wanted to charge. And people then, if they couldn't pay, they could actually take them to court. And at court, they could like take more and more from them, right? So first, if they don't have the money to pay it, then they're gonna take their livestock or their animals or their tools. And ultimately, what they were allowed to get to is that they were actually allowed to take then their outer shirt. They could take that piece of clothing from them. But what they couldn't take is their undergarments. That was considered inhumane. Like that's the line in this moment. So this question is, is how do you handle, if this is happening to you, how do you handle this injustice when you lack power in this moment or really any hope of changing the system in the near future? And what Jesus is saying is don't rise up violently, which by the way, that's what they were begging him to do. And you don't have to do nothing as well. You respond a third way, which inches the process forward. Jesus is saying, if you get brought into a court and they take your animal and your livestock and your tools and they take your outer cloak and that person, uh, this happens to you, then what you need to do to stand up for yourself is strip down naked and give it all to them, right? He's saying, give them everything. Because what happens in this moment, that's why this is inhumane, is that it actually brings shame on that person. It's actually less shame for the person who's standing there naked than it is for the people that are seeing them. And culturally, this was extremely relevant. You see this back into Genesis 9 with Ham, who's the son of Noah. Noah gets drunk, and he's naked, and it says that Ham then sees him naked, and, it's brought, and shame was on him. Like, oh, I saw that naked, right? So this was a big deal. So Jesus is saying, if they're going to take your outer garment, give it all to them, kind of like that adjusting a tie and a suit of everyone else is looking to see what you've done to me. Look at how far you've gone. I can stand up for myself in this third way. That uh, these economic practices that you've put in this servitude has, has brought shame onto the entire system. Jesus says, if anyone forces you to go one mile, um, go also the second. Uh, in Roman occupation, a Roman soldier actually had the right to force any Jewish subject to actually carry their stuff, their armor, and it was heavy, and most Roman soldiers didn't have a horse. They couldn't afford this. So they could be walking from the next place they needed to go, and they could just grab any, any person and say, here, you gotta carry my stuff. And then they had to walk with them, and they could walk with them one mile, but they could walk no more than one. They couldn't walk a second mile. And so this actually happened. You see this in, in, in reflection of like Good Friday stuff of Simon of Serene. This is what happened to him, is that he got pulled out. Jesus is carrying Roman uh, stuff, which is the cross property, and he's carrying that cross, and it gets to the point where he can't carry it, and they got to keep this thing moving. So what do they do? They just grab a Jewish guy right there out of the crowd and say, you're going to carry it now with him. I can have him go one mile. They can make you do this. And so Jesus says, if this happens, then go a second mile. Why? Because it would confuse the guard. 
It would confuse that person. If you're carrying something on your own free choice, and that person uh, who gave you this armor that you're carrying, they no longer can enjoy being superior in the person who's forcing you to carry it. They don't get to feel like they're the superior one that was making you do something of, look, I have authority and power over you, when suddenly you say, we're going to keep on going. I like carrying this. It switches this, this whole thing. This question, the question is then, how, how do you respond to systematic evil when you have no hope of changing the system in the near future? Well, when you respond in kind, hit for hit, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, all that we do is confirm to that aggressor in their mind that they're actually justified in doing what they've done. That's all we do. I, I freaked everybody out a couple of weeks. I told the story about how um, we lost a ball over the fence and our neighbor sent it back, but it was like, it, had, it was sliced. And so I talked about how like I was going to go steal their dog for an hour and slice all their tires. And some of you guys are like, Did you, please tell me you didn't do that. I didn't do it. And I actually have great relationships with all my neighbors, right? But that's what it does. It just goes escalated, right? It goes to the next step. And then it shows them, yeah, like I actually am right in what I've done when you respond in kind. Because most likely that person already has something against you. And when you respond in kind, um, now they feel justified or even self-righteous. And we start playing into that narrative and it just goes on and on and on and bigger. And what we're called to do, and that's what he's asking us this too, is he said, you're called to break that process. You're called to break that process right now. My favorite Martin Luther King Jr. quote is this, and it's about this exact subject. It says, returning hate for hate multiplies hate, adding deeper darkness to any night already devoid of stars. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. So one might respond with violence. Another might just go on being humiliated. But a third way is to challenge the systematic evil by giving an unpredictable response to disrupt in ways that are unexpected and even shocking. This is what keeps you and I and myself from being defined by the evil that's being pushed up against us. And we'll do this by assuming the opposite posture of the person who is against you. So to put this in practice, you can think right now. Think about this right now. Who has something against you? Who has something against you? Or maybe you can think about who do you have something against and you've been an aggressor. So in response, you have to do the opposite. It's the, the exact opposite. That whatever spirit that they have towards you, you do the opposite. That if someone is aggressive towards you, what do you do? You respond in gentleness. Someone is gossiping about you behind your back, and, and especially when someone goes, did you hear what they said about you? What do you do? You respond with a positive remark behind their back about them. Yeah, but you know what I love about that person? Oof. If they're cruel towards you, overwhelm them with kindness. If they have a scowl, respond to them with a smile, and hopefully it doesn't get smacked off. Um, if they're being stingy towards you, respond with outrageous generosity towards them. You get it whatever the exact opposite is. And, and take yourself. Maybe you're not the oppressed. Maybe you can look right now and say, I'm kind of the aggressor in some situations. I'm the fastest kid in school, <laughs> right? And so maybe it's thinking about doing the opposite that you've been doing. 
I want to wrap this up with, uh, um, this is some of my favorite life verses and, and just this short little bit of scripture from Romans. It's a book that Paul wrote. Um, chapter 12, starts in verse 14. It says, bless those who persecute you. And then he reiterates it. Bless. Do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Or we're saying like, be willing to go down there and get your hands dirty too and help that guy pick up the trash. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends. And then he says, on the contrary, he quotes some scripture from the Old Testament. If your enemy is hungry, feed them. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on his head. So he's saying, hey, it's the opposite. Feed them if they're hungry. And where they can look back and say, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? And it allows you to inch forward to change. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with, say it with me. Good. That's right. So friends, we're going to wrap this conversation up today with communion. Um, This is where we get to commune with God. And, um, you know, we, we go through life a lot of times and in, in this specific scenario, um, what we say in moments when things or oppression happens towards us is, is we sit there and we have this posture that says, I can, God can't, I'll take care of it. When we're in a healthy posture and we're looking at these things and we, we've surrounded our lives with confession and repentance and surrender, and this is how I'm starting my day, we start our day and say, I can't. God can, I think I'll let him. But when it comes upon us and our day kind of goes and we start inching towards some different things um, and some situations come up upon us, that's when we switch that posture to be like, well, I can, God can, I'm going to take care of this one. So I think confession is really important. Let me give you a little bit of history about confession. I think confession is actually really important when it comes into the posture of communion, the Eucharist which we're all going to participate in just a moment. The history of confession is this, is what, uh, what happened between specifically the Catholics and the Protestants, Pro- Protestants was this massive divide. See, what happened was is the Catholics, and if you've grown up in a Catholic church or you know someone who's Catholic, one of their big tenets is confession. Maybe some of you even have memories of going in a booth and, and confessing and talking to um, somebody through these things. And so the Pro- Protestants, wanting to be different, Um, they said, we're not about confessing, we're about professing. And so that whole idea behind it is, so you know what we're going to do? We're not going to talk about the stuff that we encounter or the way that we react later on and as we're going through our day and through life. What we're going to do is, you just have to confess one time. What we're going to do is you just confess and say, look at this is my past, this is my history, I need God, then we're good, and then we're not going to talk about this stuff anymore. Which doesn't work. I'm just going to tell you, I don't think it works. So many of us grew up, and many of us in here grew up never flexing that muscle of confession. 
And I'll tell you why potentially that this has happened is, is if you look back at history, you know, the, uh, the big movement towards the West, these were the dreamers, like the Oregon Trail. This was the starting the new. And it was this big movement of independence. So it was, I don't need to do anything with anyone else. I don't need to share anything with anyone else. And I don't need anyone else. And so we got stuck in this place of independence where we didn't flex this muscle of, of confessing and communing with people and with God. The last thing I'll say about confession and talking to you through this this morning is that we are called as followers of Jesus, as children of light, we are called to be humble, we're called to be curious, and we're called to be full of gratitude. I'm going to tell you right now, those are not things that we naturally move towards. None of you woke up today and says, <laughs> I'm humble. <laughs> Look at me. I'm feeling so humble today, Right? Most of us don't, don't wake up and start our day just curious about people. You know, I had a conversation with um, Jeff, one of our pastors here, and he told me about how he had a really difficult interaction with somebody at a gas station. Uh, and he was just trying to tell somebody like, oh, hey, go ahead, you can go in front of me. And he thought it was some crazy gesture and yelled at him. And it was like, whoa, I don't want to do anything. We don't naturally wake up curious to be like, maybe that guy's got an emergency. Maybe that guy just got bad news about somebody that he loves. Maybe he's just lost his job. Like, whatever it is. Just curious. Not giving an excuse. But we don't naturally wake up curious to give people grace in those areas. And lastly, we just don't usually wake up full of gratitude. We usually wake up full of complaints and frustrations as we go through our day. And so what confession does is I think it brings us to our knees in humility to say, I can't. I've done. I'm not living this way. It creates humility within us. What confession does is it makes us be curious. It makes us be curious about what God's response is to us and the grace that he gives us in this moment because we recognize what crucifixion truly looked at. Liked. And then we're able to be curious for others. And then lastly, it makes us full of gratitude. So when we commune with God, we're saying, what? The God of the universe wants me knows me, believes in me, is for me. And then that makes us full of gratitude and a person of gratitude. So right now, what you're going to do in just a moment, if you're with us online or here in the room, we actually have tables around the room. And I think that communion is a physical response. And we're going to be singing a song that's over you. And there's at these tables, there's a cup that has juice in it. And underneath it is another cup that has bread in it. It's all one piece. You can grab one of those. Maybe you can find a spot in the room. Maybe you can find a spot, uh, 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 some seats. Maybe you can grab one of your friends, uh, your partner, um, your family. And I encourage you, have a moment of confession or humility or gratitude or curiosity in this moment before you partake and communing what God did for you. Because he took this cup, and this is what we get to remember each and every month and what we're gonna celebrate again in just a few days. He took this cup and he says, this is my blood is gonna be shed for you because I love you. This is my body is gonna be broken for you and your brokenness because I love you. I give you grace. If you're with us here, maybe this is one of your first time and you're like, do I take this too? You can chill right where you're at. If you feel like you're ready to partake in that, no one's judging you. No one's watching who's getting up and down. No one's going to be like leaning an ear on into your 
darkest secret right now, but this is a beautiful, safe place. It's a faith community to commune with the Lord. As you listen to this song, you can start getting up with your friends and family. And this concludes this week's podcast. We hope you've enjoyed spending some time with us. And if you haven't already, like and subscribe to our YouTube and find us on Instagram at NGATECF. See you next week.